0: Tell me, Gordon, when does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water-ski behind? How much is enough? It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Money itself isn't lost or made. It's simply uh, transferred from one perception to another. Like magic. This painting here, I bought it 10 years ago for $60,000. I could sell it today for 600 The illusion? has become real. And the more real it becomes, the more desperate they want it. Capitalism at its finest. How much is enough for it? The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth, $5 trillion. One third of that comes from hard work. Two thirds comes from an inheritance, interest on interest accumulating to widows and idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. You got 90% of the American public out there with little or no net worth. I create nothing. I own. We make the rules, pal. The news, war, peace, famine, upheaval, the price of a paperclip. We pick that rabbit out of the hat while everybody sits out there wondering how the hell we did it. Now, you're not naive enough to think we're living in a democracy, are you, buddy?
1: This is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from the movie Wall Street. I was watching that movie and I just, and I, and I caught that thing, you know, hey, hey, you know what, uh, we control everything. The, the people with the money, we control everything. The news, war, peace, famine, upheaval, the price of a paperclip. It's all about money. It's all about money. And, uh, the part where he says, uh, you know, the, when he bought the painting, he goes. The illusion has become real. He bought it for sixty. He could sell it for six hundred thousand. The illusion has become real, and the more real that illusion becomes, the more desperate people are for it. And I think about the illusion that we see on the news, and of course that earlier statement he said that we control everything—the news. So the people with the money have a have a uh, have a vested interest in the Democrats staying in control because the, because the Democrats are dirty. They're corrupt. And as long as the Democrats are in con, in control, they can buy they can buy uh they can buy votes. They can buy the they can buy the politicians and make sure that the legislation that controls their cash flow gets gets approved how they want it or it gets turned down how they want it so they have a vested interest so hence cnn msnbc there's there's such a such a difference in the illusion that they're that they're that you know you you look at some of the stuff you see on social media you go how can people be this stupid how can people believe be so stupid to think that you know trump started this this insurrection and you know you see they left they left out the video in the January sixth committee, that showed the Capitol police just letting people in and 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 uh, giving them a guided tour of the of the Capitol. That wasn't a, that wasn't an insurrection, but you know they say it so many times on TV that it makes people start to believe it, and people just go, you know what? Hey, I don't like the way Trump says this stuff. I don't like the way he disrespects the military. And I and I argue with them, I say, Well, why don't you talk to some people in the military and see who, who they would rather who they're supporting. If you really think that Trump is is anti military, why don't you talk to the military people that are there? I talked to uh to Shrek, who I'm probably gonna have on this show again in the next couple of weeks for a for a little update on uh what he knows and what he sees. But um but he says, Hey, you know what? He goes, I could have stayed in the Marines for another ten years. But I got out because Biden. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't like the way the leadership is. I don't like the way they support the lack of support for our military. He says it. He says he supports our military, but all the evidence, all the, all the, everything that we see is he supports Ukraine's military. He doesn't support ours. He doesn't support our law enforcement. He supports the criminals. He doesn't support our border patrol guys. He supports all the undocumented Democrats coming in here. The illusion is real, and the more real it becomes, the more desperate they they want they want it. And of course, I saw a uh, I saw uh, on Fox or Newsmax talking about where the number one number one priorities are for voters. The number one concern, based on the polls that they show, is that immigration has now become number one concern. People are scared because these criminals are coming over our border, and it makes us unsafe. But I saw on uh, on Microsoft Edge a story showing their polls they said that Quinnipiac said that the number 1 issue is preserving democracy. Really? Do you really think people are worried about preserving democracy and and who are they and who are they who are they they polling for this stuff? I mean, where the illusion what what illusion are you buying? And as I say every week, listen to me, listen to Fox, listen to CNN, look at the stuff you see on the social media and then compare all that stuff to your own life experience and and then you use your logically thinking brain to say what is real and what is BS. Say, hmm, you know, is the economy really doing that good? They tell us how great we're doing, but somehow the price of gas is still double what it was. The price of groceries, I went I went to McDonald's the other day and I bought a a, a a double big Mac and a double quarter pounder with cheese and an order of fries 25 bucks no drinks no nothing just those three things 25 bucks does that say our economy is doing good amazing to me and no I wasn't eating both those burgers one was for Dawn and she says she shared her double quarter pounder with the with our with our puppy dog and uh so, uh, no, I don't eat a double quarter pounder and a double Big Mac. Um, and, of course, when you buy it from McDonald's, half the time it's cold. So, anyway, uh, that song was Home by the Sea from Genesis. And I love that song. I just love the beat. I love the, love the tune. And, uh, you know, the message is, uh, living here so long undisturbed, thinking about the times when we were free. So many years ago, and I thought about where Biden, you know, the Biden and Trump both went to the border this, this uh, Thursday and uh to visit to look at the look at the border and get a, a glimpse. And Biden went to Brownsville, which is right on the right on the edge of the Gulf of Mexico. That's not where people are are coming across. They're coming across an Eagle Pass where Trump went to. And of course if they really wanted to get in into the into the weeds there, um, you know, since since Texas has put up all that razor wire, now people are really Diverting over to Arizona and California where it's everything's free. Everything's free. Come on in. We got a a liberal governor in in Arizona and we've got Gavin Newsom from uh, in California. And there's no laws here. And, you know, let's turn California into a toilet. And then I'm going to try and get elected president to turn the whole country into a toilet. So, um, happily I have my two escape hatches, my, my, uh, my house in Arizona and my house in Montana. And, uh, and it's just not surprising that many of you are, are, uh, maybe not buying additional homes, but you're thinking about selling your house in California and moving to another state. And you'll find once you get out of California, gas is cheaper. The roads don't have potholes. Uh, you know I, I I think about driving my corvette in California you can't drive down the street without hitting potholes and as I as I talked about that uh, every time I hit a pothole it's cracking the wheel on one of my on uh, one of my one of my uh, wheels depending on where the where the pothole hits and you just can't drive in this country or in this state without hitting potholes and the streets aren't clean and they're just all torn up. But uh, what about all that gas tax? I thought that was supposed to fix the roads. You know what? When Biden talks about, hey, we're trying to do something about the border. No, you're trying to get money for the border. You don't need money for the border. You just need to, you need some action. And look at all the legislation we've passed. Has it done anything to fix our country? No, all it's done is, is incur debt and send money places. So anyway, I'm going to talk about all the all the stuff that's going on this week and my opinion of it. But before I do, let me introduce myself for those who don't know me. My name's Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk about real estate or finance and uh, you know, consider rearranging some of your debt, with the equity in your house whether that's refinancing a piece of property that you own or with, if you'd like to purchase a property that you don't already own, and that's uh, and be that in California or another state, or if you want to find out about those reverse mortgage things, but you don't want to talk to me on the phone, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and that'll take you to my lending page. You can put in as much information as you want me to have, tell me how much information you want back, and uh, you'll get a call back from either myself or one of my talented teammates. Will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if there's any part of the show you missed, or you missed the whole show, you wanna you wanna uh, t- you wanna get it on demand. You can stay on EdHoffman.net, click on the podcast page. You can get this show as well as several past shows. You can also get it on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can actually subscribe for free. I record on Friday mornings; it uploads Friday afternoon, and it'll download to your device shortly thereafter. and You can listen to it on demand. Um, lastly, if you have any comments on the show, send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. All right, so uh, used up half of the first half with all that. Let's talk about uh, what's going on uh, this week in Washington, D.C. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson has been, been under an enormous amount of pressure in the recent weeks to keep the government funded by the March 1st deadline. That's today as we're recording, so it's uh, it's yesterday. Yesterday, If you're listening on Saturday, plus the massive pressure Democrats are putting on him to pass a bill for Ukraine that lacks any funding for our border. The strategy of ganging up on Johnson was implemented at a White House meeting on Tuesday, attended by President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. So uh, that's right, McConnell, the longest serving Republican leader in the Senate joined five Democrats in the room in ganging up on the Republican Speaker. Which makes the announcement we got from McConnell this week nice to hear, but I digress. From the Hill on Tuesday, leaders gang up on Speaker Johnson at an intense White House meeting. Three of Congress's top four leaders had a loud and unified message for Speaker Mike Johnson when they met with him at the White House on Tuesday. Ignore the pressure from the conservative critics and avoid a government shutdown on Friday. I saw some posts that say, "Hey, if you're if you don't have the guts to shut the government down in order to make sure that, uh, in order to make sure that we're not sending money to Ukraine and we're fixing our border, then you don't des- you don't deserve to be in po- in politics, and you should just resign." Okay, so back to back to the uh, the Hill article. Um, Schumer, McConnell, and Jeffries emerged from the meeting, which participants described as intense and passionate, feeling somewhat reassured that Johnson heard their pleas. Not surprisingly, the one who had the most to say was Chuck Schumer, who spoke first about leaving the border out of the $95 billion supplemental foreign aid bill that passed in the Senate two weeks ago. The bill still contains $14 billion for Israel, $10 billion for humanitarian aid for Gaza, $4.8 billion for Taiwan. But listening to Schumer, you'd think all that matters is the part that gives $60 billion to Ukraine.
2: The President, the Vice President, Leader McConnell, Speaker, uh, Leader Jeffries, and myself made it so clear how vital this was to the United States. This was so, so important, and that we couldn't afford to wait a month or two months or three months because we, w- we would, in all likelihood, lose the war. NATO would be fractured at best. Allies would turn away from the United States. And the boldest leaders, the boldest autocrats of the world, the Putins, the Shis, the presidents of North Car- uh, North, Car- North K- Korea, I like the governor of North Carolina, actually. Uh, the presidents of uh, North Korea and Iran would be emboldened, thinking that the United States was this soft, fat uh, country that lost its way and would take advantage. And so we said to the speaker, get it done. I told him this is one of the moments, I said, I've been around here a long time, it's maybe four or five times that history is looking over your shoulder. And if you don't do the right thing, whatever the immediate politics are, you will regret it. I told him two years from now and every year after that, because really it's in his hands, it's in his hands. We told him how important it was, it was passionate. I talked about my trip to Ukraine where I met soldiers, who had Russian artillery in range with the drones they have, but had no ammunition to fire at them. We talked about four brigades who were ready to go, Ukrainian, no arms, and how serious the lack of arms was. And it was the consensus in that room, Zelensky in Ukraine will lose the war if we don't get the arms and don't get them quickly.
1: You know, well, I, I have some questions when he says that if we wait two or three months, we will likely, likely lose the war. Who's we? Who's we that's going to likely lose the war? I didn't think we were in this war. Um, so, and then he says, you know, history is history is looking over your shoulder. Does that go along with with Biden's uh, comments two weeks ago? History is watching. History is watching. History is watching. And here's and here's here's my question about the immediate need because these guys don't have ammunition. We've already uh, we've already authorized over a hundred billion dollars to go to Ukraine. And we've only dispersed seventy-four point three billion, so there's twenty-five billion there that we could send. So if they need ammunition, they've already authorized another twenty-five billion dollars. Why don't they use that to fill fill it up? Because this is all BS. They want to authorize another sixty billion. They haven't spent the hundred billion uh, yet themselves. But the Democrats know: you give money to Ukraine, half of it comes back to to the politicians in the United States. Meanwhile, Putin had his ominous, had this ominous warning for the Western nations supporting Ukraine. This is from his State of the Nation address on Thursday. They are
3: talking about sending NATO military contingents to Ukraine. But we can recall what happened to those who used to send their contingents to our country. The consequences for these potential um, uh, intruders will be much more tragic now. They need to finally understand that we too have weapons, and they know that, I have just mentioned, we too have weapons that can strike targets on their territory. And everything that they're thinking of now, everything that they use to threaten us and the world, that all this is a real threat of nuclear weapons being used, which spell destruction of civilization.
1: Wow, I guess Biden's strategy of giving Ukraine weapons but no boots on the ground means that, meaning that we're not involved in the war, we're not fighting Russia, I guess that uh, didn't work. Apparently uh, apparently Russia has CNN over there and uh, Fox News and uh, MSNBC and they see everything we're doing. So I guess that idea of we don't want to be at war with Russia and, and get them mad, I guess that just didn't work. So up to this point, Republicans have stayed strong on refusing to pass the bill unless it includes funding and restrictions for the border. And it sounds like Johnson continued to show show that strength in this meeting. Here's how Schumer, here's what Schumer said on that.
2: The speaker brought up the border. We made it very clear to him that we want to do something real on border. And in fact, we Democrats in the Senate supported a border bill, but said to hold up Ukraine because you can't do something else which we all should work on was a non sequitur. There was no logic. There's a logic to solving the border. We want to solve it. Do, but we have to do Ukraine right now because there's an await with That can get done quickly because that has broad bipartisan consensus. And the border takes some more work, which we'll be happy to work on to get it done, but not hold up the Ukraine bill for it. Senator what
4: made
3: this
1: meeting one of the most intense you've ever had? The
2: urgency of supporting Ukraine. And the consequences to the people of America to america 's strength, if we don 't do anything and don 't do anything soon, I was so, so shaken by what I saw at the border i was I was strengthened by the by the strength of Zelensky and the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian soldiers, but shaken that here they are fighting without arms against a brutal dictator. Who will just do anything to kill them? And the intensity in that room was surprising to me. And you know, Johnson tried to answer, and he made it clear he wants to do something on the border. But we made it clear to him we can't tarry, or the war could be lost. And second, we had to—we wanted to do border and have a tough, secure border plan, as we showed. We Democrats showed in this Senate, but he can't say it won't do Ukraine until we get border. He's tried to do border for six months and couldn't come up with a single Democratic vote. That's enough. Next Next one. Next one. one. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Well, he tried to do border but couldn't come up with a single Democrat vote. Well, that doesn't mean that he didn't come up. They didn't come up with a with a good solution. just means the Democrats are so stubborn. And, uh, you know, the urgency to give our tax dollars to Ukraine, um, when we haven't dispersed what we already authorized, uh, the border, our, our border, our Southern border is, is not that urgent. Let's ask, let's ask the, uh, the families of Lake and Riley, uh, who got killed in Georgia by a, by a illegal immigrant from uh, Venezuela or, uh, the girl who got, who got raped in Virginia, uh, by, a uh, uh, immigrant, illegal immigrant from from uh, Venezuela? Or how about the cops that got attacked by uh, four or five guys from, uh, from Venezuela? I don't know. I think Venezuela is a problem. And, of course, bail these guys out and send them to California. That's the solution. And uh, what's that do for us? I think it creates an urgency here to do something to stop the bleeding, stop the bleeding of, of these these criminals into our into our country and uh, but Democrats don't understand that. Johnson was also ready to recap the meeting for reporters. He addressed how the border could be fixed without any congressional action and his hope to avoid a shutdown.
3: We're hearing from the American people of all parties and all persuasions in all cities and all states who feel this acutely, they understand the catastrophe at the border is affecting everyone. And it is top of mind for all the American people for that reason. So I brought that issue up repeatedly today in that room, and and again one-on-one with the president. Uh, The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day, quite literally around the clock, to get that job done. We're very optimistic. I, I hope that the other leaders came out here and told you the same. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown, and that's our first uh, responsibility. But again, the first priority of the country is our border and making sure it's secure. I I believe the president can take executive authority right now today to change that, and I told him that again today in person, as, as I've said to him many times, publicly and privately over the last several weeks. It's time for action. It is a catastrophe, and it must stop. And we will get the government funded, and we'll keep working on that. So we'll have more for Yeah, I
4: don't
1: I don't think we're going to get the government funded, and I don't think we're going to shut down the government. We're just going to keep kicking the can down the road. I'll talk about that more in a couple seconds. Biden went to the border on Thursday, um, which is yesterday, today, but if you're listening on Saturday, that was two days ago. Um, same old thing, blaming Republicans for not passing the Senate bill. We all know that. He can do a lot of it by executive action, and and uh, and have this thing ended by next week. But but he wants he wants something done by next week because he wants to uh, announce it at the State of the Union on Thursday. Um, not really sure what he's going to announce. I don't not really sure what he's willing to do that's going to make him uh, uh, have anything good to announce at the State of the Union. But you can guarantee you can guarantee the guy with the little applause applause card will be standing up standing up outside the cameras for all the Democrats, or maybe they just have their their cues. When Biden says this, everybody stand up and applaud, just like they did at the Seth Meyers show uh, on uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever that was happening. And every time Biden did something st- stupid like put on his sunglasses, everybody applauded like it was just funny, funny, funny. It was idiotic. Hey, I got a lot more to say about this, but I'm running out of time for this half of the main event. So stay stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be back with the rest of this and a lot more. Don't go away. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio. But uh, if you want to talk about real estate or finance, whether that's uh, refinancing a piece of property you own or purchasing a property you'd like to own in California or elsewhere in another state, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we'll do the cyber thing and uh, get you uh, steered in the right direction. So before the before the break, we are talking about the uh, the ambush of uh of michael johnson at the white house with uh with uh biden and harris and hakeem jeffries and chuck schumer and mitch mcconnell and uh seems like i forgot somebody nope apparently that's it all against uh uh speaker uh speaker johnson to get him to uh just just fund the border go along with this stuff pass these bills pass these bills and let's Keep the keep everybody everybody funded and let's send another sixty billion dollars to Ukraine when we still haven't sent twenty five of the hundred billion that we've already uh, authorized because it's so urgent. So Hakeem Jeffries, we we heard what uh, what Speaker Johnson said and we heard all of what Chuck Schumer said. You know he's been here a long time. Yeah, you've been here a long time, and you've been corrupting the place for a long time, so why should we listen to you? So, Hakeem Jeffries, the uh, minority leader of the House, uh, must have drawn the short straw because he was given the task of announcing that in order to avoid a shutdown this week, Congress would probably end up passing yet another continuing resolution, or a CR. And, of course, on Thursday evening, that's exactly what they did. Remember, they already enacted a a CR in. Let's start over. They enacted a CR in like November that pushed it off until uh, half of the half of the budgets would be approved by January 19th, and the other half by March 4th. But then in January they passed another CR to push it back to uh, March 1st for for programs and agencies covered by four of the 12 annual appropriations bills, and March 8th for the remaining. Here's Jeffrey's. It was an intense meeting it was an
2: honest meeting being we are making real progress on the appropriations bills that are scheduled to lapse on March 1st and I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that we can do what is necessary within the next day or so to close down these bills and avoid a government shutdown at the same time it may be important to come to an agreement that's bipartisan and anchored in common sense to extend the pending expiration of the eight additional bills that are scheduled to lapse on March 8th, so that good faith, tough negotiations can continue in the absence of a government shutdown.
1: So, with this new bill, um, the deadlines are now March 8th for the first four, and March 22nd for the the last eight, and of course, that's a week away. Is there any way that that's going to happen? And Akeem Jeffrey says that hey we need to have tough negotiations and good good faith but there, the problem is there's there's no good faith on the part of the Democrats and there's no tough negotiations on the part of the Republicans. And again, I say shut the government down if that's what it takes and let's let's make sure that the, the Democrats know that we're serious. no more money to the Ukraine and close that border up. So back to the Hill article. A Republican senator who who requested anonymity to discuss internal strategy for avoiding a government shutdown said the objective of the White House meeting was to pile pressure on Johnson. When you can demonstrate it's kind of three against one, you can kind of pressure or influence someone. And I hope that's what he senses, the senator said. And what he means is he hopes that he realized that he was being ambushed and don't don't, uh, fold to the pressure. Well, it must have worked, because the next morning, we learned that Johnson was scrambling to create something everyone would agree on for now. From the New York Times on Wednesday, Johnson floats short-term spending bill to avert partial shutdown. It's the same story, different day, same thing that they always do, and no one will ever be tough, and this stuff will never get past. Uh, Speaker Johnson is floating another short-term stopgap spending bill to head off a partial government shutdown at the end of the week offering a temporary path out of a stalemate that has repeatedly threatened federal funding over the past six months. His proposal would extend funding for some government agencies for a week through March 8th and the rest for another two weeks until March 22nd. It would be contingent on congressional leaders finalizing an an emerging bipartisan agreement on six of the 12 annual spending bills. And it would leave time for the top lawmakers to negotiate the other six measures, and then try to pass the spending bills individually before the next deadline to fund the government. That would be a tall order in the in the House, which has struggled to pass spending legislation amid Republican divisions. Uh, you know, you got Republicans that are strong, and you got Republicans that are weak. Sucks, and uh, and they won't they won't they won't just stand up. They don't have what the Democrats have. Hey, this is what we're standing on, and we're all going to stand together and be tough. Uh, Republicans haven't figured that one out yet. Any stopgap bill would be part of a larger agreement to finish a number of appropriations bill, ensuring adequate time for drafting text and for members to review prior to casting votes, said Athena Lawson, spokes- spokeswoman for Mr. Johnson. Congressional leaders hope to finalize the plan as early as Wednesday, leaving time for quick votes in both chambers before the midnight deadline on Friday. So they're going to draft up this these bills and by Wednesday, and Wednesday's going to be long enough for everybody to read them so they can vote on Friday? I don't think so. But the CR that was passed on Thursday evening uh, takes the pressure off for a week. And will they get anything done in a week? I seriously doubt it. So, well, it's been a big week for Mitch McConnell. First, he joined in with the Democrats to gang up on the Republican Speaker. And the very next day, he announced that he will step down from being Senate Minority Leader later this year. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, hey, the uh, Barney Frank and Christopher Dodd. Uh, got involved in, uh, in the uh, subprime mortgage stuff and pushed it and uh, got Fannie Mae involved and basically pressured all the banks to do subprime loans. Then when it made the uh, United States uh, economy f- uh, uh, fold and it, and it spread across the whole uh, global economy, then who'd they tasked to fix it? Christopher Dodd and Barney Frank. And as soon as they passed the Dodd-Frank bill, they both resigned and got out, got out of the Senate and the, and the House. So uh, Mitch McConnell, this is from the Associated Press on Wednesday, Mitch McConnell, the longest-serving Senate leader in history who maintained his power in the face of dramatic convulsions in the Republican Party for almost two decades, will step down from that position in November. November, that's, uh, that's eight months away, nine months away. McConnell, who just turned 82 last week, announced his decision Wednesday in, in the well of the Senate. The chamber where he he looked in awe from its back benches in 1985 when he just got there. Unlike Nancy Pelosi, at least McConnell has the decency to announce an eventual exit from Congress altogether. He said he plans to serve out his Senate term, which ends in January of 27. So uh, we already know, we already see McConnell with his uh, cognitive problems and just kind of stopping and not being able to talk for you know a minute at a time a couple of minutes at a time we see he's got health problems and the way i see this playing out is just like Diane Feinstein he's not going to he he knows he has a health problem he knows he is a problem and he says i'm going to step down from minority leader in november and then i'm going to serve two more years after that so I, i'm going to say 3 years from now when i'm 85 i'll uh, i'll be i'll be stepping down I'll be getting out of politics. I'll be exiting stage left. So here's some of McConnell's announcement.
2: So it's time for me to think about another season. I love the Senate. There may be more distinguished members of this body throughout our history, but I doubt there were any with any more admiration for the Senate. After all this time, I still got a thrill walking into the Capitol and especially on this venerable floor, knowing that we, each of us, have the honor to represent our states and do the important work of our country. But Father Time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back, hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership.
1: Yeah, it is time for the next generation of leader leadership, but not today. We're going to wait three more years almost. So a uh, vote will take place in the Senate Republican Caucus in November, with the winner replacing McConnell as leader, either the minority leader or the majority leader, depending on the balance of power after the election in November. They will then step into the position in January alongside the election of the 119th United States Congress. So who might that senator be? Well, there are a few presumed heirs to the throne, and then there are some better options that Republicans may want to consider. Let's start with the uh, likely successors, which the media has suddenly been calling the Three Johns." Well, I have three Johns in my house, so uh, you know I like these John—I like these guys named John so much. I named three of my three of my rooms in my house after them. So, uh, first one is John Thune of South Dakota. He's sixty-three years old. The second highest-ranking Senate Republican, and the Senate Minority Whip, in char- which is in charge of sounding out senators about their positions on various issues, and for knowing how to how the rank and file Republicans plan to vote against uh, ahead of time. So they want he's he's there to try and uh, try and uh, try and bully some guys into changing their votes when they need to, and of knowing how many votes they have before they vote on anything, and. Uh, that's why they call him the whip, because he's whipping the guys around. He endorsed Tim Scott for president at first. He endorsed Trump only a few days ago, well after his renomination likelihood became apparent. He's known for being the most moderate of the three Johns. Next is John Barrasso of Wyoming. He's seventy-one years old. First elected to Senate in two thousand six. The third highest-ranking GOP senator, serving as the chair of the Senate GOP conference. And what's the difference between the chair and the whip? Uh, I had to look this up. the uh, The chairman, the chairman, uh, has a bigger role in selecting committee assignments, and uh, as well as dealing with uh, stuff that's going on in the media. Hey, you're gonna go on uh, on Fox News Sunday, and you're gonna go go on. Uh, uh, whatever the uh, whatever the other shows are on the on the on the network news shows, and uh, that's what that's what he does. While the uh, whip just bullies people around into making sure they're going to vote along party lines. He's uh, so John Barrasso is known as a strong Republican voice on energy policy. The ranking Republican on the Senate Energy Committee for the last three years, he has endorsed Trump since January. Views, viewed as the most conservative of the three Johns. Well, I like the most conservative as well. John Cornyn of Texas is the other John. He's 72 years old, not current currently in any Senate GOP leadership, but was the whip for six years prior. In terms of ideology, he's considered somewhere between Thune and Barrasso. He has a history of working with Democrats on bipartisan legislation. Previously, a Trump skeptic, but endorsed him in January. So these may be likely successors to run. But former Congressman Jason Chaffetz says there are better and younger options he thinks Republicans might consider them. The Senate
4: is so based on tradition and it is based on seniority. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that John Cornyn or John Thune necessarily gets there. I think there's some other names. If Senator Tim Scott is not elected, you know, Nominated as vice president in, in joining Donald Trump, he's going to be mentioned. J.D. Vance is going to be mentioned. Uh, Marco Rubio is going to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. Will they put together a, an internal campaign? Because you're talking about a small group of you know just over 50 it's people. It's not going to look like what it did in the House. We're not going uh, for no, 15 rounds. No, but they, rounds, they will settle this. But there, there, I think there is there is a growing number of younger senators who don't think that you should get to your leadership position just based on seniority alone.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's go over those options he had. Tim Scott. Tim Scott is fifty-eight. He's from South Carolina. He uh, ran for president and then got out, realizing that uh, it wasn't his wasn't his time, and got behind Donald Trump. I like Tim Scott, but I just don't think he's strong enough to be president, um, which makes me say, should he be the vice president? I don't know. He's calm and cool and and collected, and he has a good head on his shoulders. But I just don't see him as a strong voice. He's just not. He's just not. He's just not presidential. But this isn't this isn't a suggestion for for president. But being the VP could be president because uh, our former president Donald Trump is not getting any younger either. Although he's not having cognitive problems like Biden is. JD Vance is only thirty nine. He's from Ohio. Um, he wrote a book called "Hillbilly Elegy," and uh, which apparently got made into a movie that I haven't seen. But he's uh, seems to was on Tucker Carlson a, a lot on that. And of course Marco Rubio, he's 52 from Florida. I like Marco Rubio. I like Marco Rubio a lot. He's he's strong. He's strong. And uh, while I said his kids are too young for him to be president. Um this isn't the president position this is uh leader of the leader of the senate. I think uh if I had to choose between those three I like Marco Rubio. So uh but that's just me. I don't get the vote on that. So we'll see where it goes. Um speaking of the election all eyes were on Michigan this week not to see whether Republicans would vote for Trump. They did with Trump beating Nikki Haley 68% to 26% Forty-two percent beat down there. Uh, that's even worse than her home state, where it was like thirty-two percent. So, but rather to see if what their people were looking at Michigan for, for was rather to see if the Democrats were going to vote for Joe Biden. And you might be saying, "Well, who else would they vote for?" No one. It's called voting uncommitted. So first, the results. The end result was Joe Biden got eighty-one point two percent. 623,416 people w- wasted their time going to the poll and checking the box next to Joe Biden's name. Clearly, the illusion is real and these people want it they they're so desperate because the illusion is real, he's the savior of our country. Even though their life experience is such, I can imagine what heating oil cost in uh in Michigan where it's <laughs> cold up there. Um, I can imagine what it costs to heat their houses. But apparently, they're buying the illusion that CNN and MSNBC are putting out there. Uncommitted got 13.2%. That's 101, 436 votes. And, of course, Marianne Williamson... I will meet you on the battlefield and love will win. Uh, 22,805 votes for her. That's 3%. And uh, Dean Phillips, the uh, the guy that nobody knows, he got just under that uh, 20,602.7 votes. If you're just hear, hearing about the idea of voting uncommitted this week, it's probably because it's not an option in every state, but it is in Michigan. And here's what it means from USA Today. What does voting uncommitted mean? On Michigan's ballot, Voters may vote for one of the candidates listed or fill in the uncommitted option. According to Michigan Department of State, selecting uncommitted implies that the voter is exercising a party vote, but not committed to any of the, any of the candidates on the ballot. It's a protest vote. It's, uh, hey, I wanna, I want to have my say. I want to have my vote. But not for any of these guys. Um, So why did a bunch of Democrats in Michigan want to vote uncommitted instead of voting for Joe Biden? Because Michigan has one of the largest Muslim populations in the country. Still only 3% of their population, but the largest in the nation nonetheless. And they aren't happy with Biden's support for Israel.
2: Bye, bye, Biden. Bye, bye, bye.
1: bye. Joe Biden failed the humanity. So Muslim American community, our message, yes, indeed. February 27th in Michigan, we are voting uncommitted. Devil... That the devil would come and replace Joe Biden. I will vote for the devil to replace Joe Biden. We're all voting uncommitted.
4: Yeah. Uncommitted, uncommitted. We are voting uncommitted.
1: Well, while I don't really uh, uh, get behind that whole Muslim vote thing and why they want to vote against him because of the the Palestinian thing, but I mean, what Biden should do is stand behind Israel completely instead of catering. Catering to them, say, saying he's behind Israel and not showing any any action behind it because he's he's afraid of this happening. But you know why would why aren't all the Democrats voting uncommitted? Why are they Why are they taking their time in the cold weather to go down and cast their vote and check a vote next to Joe Biden? What are they thinking? You know when they say thirty three percent of the people still thirty three percent. People still give him a favorable uh, job approval rating. Who are those 33 people out of 100? Are you kidding me? What are they seeing that I'm not? Because I don't see anything he's done good. I mean, if I guess if I was a politician and I was getting some of that kickback of all that taxpayer money, I might. But I don't see it. So their message to Biden is clear. Change course on Israel or lose votes in the general election. And to their credit, they exceeded their goal 10 times over. The initial goal was to get 10,000 uncommitted votes, and they ended up with over 100,000. That might be because the most vocal proponent was, of course, Congresswoman Rashida Taliban. I mean, Rashida Talib.
3: Right now, we feel completely neglected and just unseen by our government. If you want us to be louder, then come here and vote uncommitted.
1: Tlaib's statements were not shared by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who gave her message to Michigan voters Tuesday on CNN with Dana Bash.
3: Sounds like you're um,
4: preparing for a sizable portion of the vote being uncommitted and sending that
3: protest message to President Biden. I'm just not sure what to expect. There are a lot of pressures and you never know with the weather. You know, There are a lot of different things that can impact what happens on Tuesday. It's important not to lose sight of the fact that any vote that's not cast for Joe Biden supports a second Trump term.
1: Yeah, well, any vote, any vote that doesn't vote for Joe Biden is going to going towards a Trump second term, and that's what we all want. And of course, we know that Gretchen Whitmer was Biden's first choice for vice president, but the woke people of his party um, demanded that he put up a woman of color, and hence, Harris. Kamala Harris ended up being the vice president and, uh, and his running mate. Biden posted a lengthy tweet on Tuesday night that began with the message from for, for the Michigan voters who didn't stand with him. And he says, I want to thank every Michigander who made their voice heard today. Exercising the, ro- the right to vote and participating in our democracy is what makes America great. Really? I didn't think he wanted to make America great. I think he was against everything that's MAGA. Make America great again. Funny that he used that used that uh, that that phraseology, as if we believe that he has anything to do with what he tweets out there. At least at least it's more articulate than uh, the one we heard earlier in the week that was his statement on the on the war itself. Biden. This is from Time Magazine. Biden expresses hope for Gaza ceasefire while eating ice cream with Seth Meyers. President Joe Biden is facing criticism after he weighed in on Israel-Hamas war while holding an ice cream cone near his mouth. He thought it was a he thought it was a microphone, and he just licked it. Uh, Biden visited Van Leeuwen's ice cream shop in New York City after filming an appearance for Late Night with Seth Meyers on Monday. In videos that emerged of the appearance, Biden was seen ordering a mint chip ice cream and talking to. I thought he never orders anything but chocolate chip. Now he's going into my territory. Mint Chip is my territory, and talking to other customers before answering a question from reporters about when a ceasefire was possible. And just so you, d- just so sometimes the reporter is, is a little hard to understand, but he says, "Could you give us a sense of what you th- wh- what you think a ceasefire will start or when a ceasefire will start, sir?" Let's play the clip. Could
2: you give us a Can sense of when you the think whole a whole ceasefire whole will start, sir? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. We're not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire.
1: Yeah, he hopes. And that's and that's assuming that anybody, anybody thinks that he has anything to say or even the USA has any influence on when that's going to happen. My sense is that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu... Has no intention of ceasefire until he gets rid of Hamas completely, and it's not it's not the Palestinian people, it's Hamas. But the Palestinian people get what they get because they put Hamas in leadership of their country, and just like we get what we get because we installed Biden as a leader of our country, and uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody posted on on Facebook the other day said we're supposed to eat vegetables, not elect them to office and uh, exactly you know that sprig of broccoli Joe Biden that the illusion is is being made to be real and the Democrats are desperate to get it hey anyway I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event so uh, thanks for listening my name's Ed Hoffman and I'll be back again with you next week